Do you think that you could beat Joe Biden or Beto O'Rourke in a push-up contest? I could be... <laughs> Actually, to be honest with you, no. Definitely not Beto. I mean, Homeboy was putting in work in the airport yesterday. Who, Beto or Biden? Beto, yeah, he and, the, he and his yeah, staff. Beto would kick my ass in any physical exercise. Do you think Pete would as well? Maybe Pete probably would. Let's go through the list of Democratic challengers who could do more push-ups than Tulsi Gabbard, definitely, because she's a veteran. Tulsi Gabbard, for sure. Elizabeth Warren, and I have... Who the real wild card is in this? Who? Bernie. Yeah, I don't know what, like, his diet is. That's a really old... <laughs> right. I feel like you could beat him. Yeah, but it would be closer than I would... I would feel bad about myself afterwards. Like, I would beat him. Yeah. It would be one of those things where I would beat him by a tight margin and then they'd be like I barely beat a 70 year however old Bernie is old as fuck there is a um, I said I have inside sources that uh, took a hot yoga class with Elizabeth Warren in the Boston area in the last few years and uh, apparently Elizabeth Warren very dedicated to her yoga craft so I gotta believe that she might take you there because there's a lot yeah, of push-up Warren, style stuff. Warren could do more push-ups than I could. Um, I mean, Cory Booker for sure. Yeah, I mean, like, even if he like physically couldn't do it, I just don't think he would stop because he would need to prove himself. Well, yeah, no, he. <laughs> I think the the biggest impediment for me is um, is just I don't have this insatiable will to keep going. Like, I'll get tired and I'll be like, oh, I'll push through it, and then I'll get a little bit more tired and be like, okay, we're done. Right, because you're like, there's really no reason to keep going. I was like, I'm doing this for my health and my fitness, and I'm trying to lose, like, 20 pounds or whatever, and I'm trying to feel good, but I'm not, I don't know, I'm just like, at some point, I'm like, well, it's not worth me really hurting myself over. Right, and also, like, I feel like a lot of people don't have good push-up form. Like, yeah. most people do it in a way that puts so much stress on their upper body where, like, you have to be, like, pretty built to handle it. Where, like, a push-up should really be, like, a core exercise. Yeah, definitely. That's basically what it, that's the point of it. Yeah, I... It's, it, it's a really good... I mean, obviously, if there was a level of... Um, does texture me arm strength as well, of course. But it is more of a core... It's, like, a more difficult... Not more difficult, but it's kind of the same concept as a, as a plank. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I think we should just convert fully to a men's health... Uh, podcasts now, and now that we're covering all the stuff. That's basically where we are, yeah. It's yeah. Like, it's like, we'll just discuss, well, basically, we'll still do a better job than CNN, because we'll just, like, trivialize politics, but we'll just talk about, like, the health, the physical health of the candidates. Right, because... It compares to our physical health. Right. It's going to be like, uh, anytime, like, Nancy Pelosi and AOC get into a fight, it's just like, you know what, Nancy, if you really want to keep saying this shit... Go meet up with AOC in the gym, and that, let's have a bench off. You bench more than AOC, and then she'll shut the fuck up. Right, AOC would. Oh, about the AOC could do probably twice as many push-ups as I, as I could. Probably. I mean, she's got those dance moves. Also, she's just healthy and fit, which is a big advantage for her. Yeah. Do you think that... Do you th- a lot of, I see a lot of people say that they think she would win presidency if she were allowed to run... In 2020, do you think that would be the case? I mean, I hear a lot of people I really respect say that. Um, 
people I like Manny Hassan for the, the Intercept and Al Jazeera has brought that up I don't know if you know who he is quite prominent on Twitter as well who is he? Uh, Manny Hassan I don't think I've seen him yeah, yeah anyway he's um, yeah he's like a fairly left leaning he's quite left leaning um, political thinker writer he seemed he has alluded to that you have a strong chance I I mean I, I mean, I just don't see her overcoming Bernie or, or or even Warren when it comes to the progressive vote. I think that maybe she's probably one of the more gifted politicians, so she definitely could set her sights on that goal. Yeah. If I were her, I'd be thinking of running for Senate. Yeah, but definitely. Just for the simple fact that she's going to get a six-year term instead of a two-year term. Right. I mean, I think she's got, I think she's clearly, like, next in line. In terms of like the if star politicians, if she, if she wants to do it, I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't. I actually kind of have a lot of respect for people who kind of shy away from the presidency. For example, Sherwood Brown in Ohio. There's this piece on him, and he's someone that I've been following because he's, 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 you know, a progressive senator in Ohio, and he was just like, I felt like I had a decent track to the nomination, and he would have been in the top five. Top six. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have been a favorite, but he would have been one of those guys of a couple. Like he would have been ahead of, say, someone like Mayor Pete. But you think he'd be ahead of Pete? Hmm. You think he would have been ahead of Pete? Uh, at least to start. Sherwood Brown's a quite was was quite is is has a, has a pretty strong legislative record. He's experienced. He's from Ohio, which really matters. I mean, what part of this election so far has made you think that like experience matters and like good track records? Well, Biden's leading the polls. Right, but also, we like we said, good track records. Right, but I'm saying, sure, right, but I mean, like, Elizabeth Warren has a good track record, and she's second. That's fair, I mean, that's fair, yeah. Are no, I, know, I get Bernie, what you're saying. Bernie for um, left-leaning cred has a good track record. He's second, and she's third. And so, to be fair, and for some people, Joe Biden has a great track record. For his, for his base, he has a great track record. True. So actually, I think, I mean, I think Sherwood Brown, I think Mayor Pete's not going to get the nomination just because he hasn't done anything. Yeah, I think that, um, I, we we're supposed to do the politics stuff last, but I guess we can, we can get it out of the way and then have that's the really fun stuff. Yeah, we're already going. Um, what do you call it? I think that people, I think Mayor Pete right now is being a little slept on because like, if you look at like, first of all, like polling numbers, are not that great nationally, but he's doing pretty well in Iowa, and that's really more important. Like what 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 happens in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and like Nevada, because those are the first four states is really going to set the tone for the primary. And the fact that Pete also had the second raised the second most amount of money in the second quarter behind Bernie is a pretty good sign for him. He almost doubled Kamala. Even though Kamala had the incredible debates, who, who we forgot to mention, and who's who's a very serious candidate, right? I mean, I think that also the you know, and I think the way the debate set up, where Pete is on the first night alongside Bernie and Elizabeth Warren, I think there's a very good chance that the way that they set up the the candidates in order, they're going to put Pete right next to Bernie and emphasize just how old Bernie looks compared to how young Pete looks. Right. If people yeah, from an optics perspective, I mean, I think that that makes sense. It would be beneficial for for Buttigieg. You know, I think the thing with with any of these candidates is like which um, which type of candidate you're going to be in which sort of um, 
niche or window are you going to try to cap capitalize on it? I just the thing is, I think Bruges doesn't. I mean, I'm asking the question: What is Bruges's pitch that completely separates him from um, any of these sort of let's say top six or seven candidates? Is it just that he's young? Well, you know, I think a lot of voters. They won't come out and say it, but a lot of them just want a white guy president. They trust a white guy, but he's but then, also. But then, they, but, then, but then they're gonna have a choice between Beto, Bernie, and Biden. Well, I mean, Beto's done, so like he, he's not yeah, gonna be an option. Um, and maybe you know, I've I've seen some people, and I think this is a perfectly fair argument against Biden and Bernie that those guys are old enough where it's a legitimate health risk. I mean, Ronald Reagan was kind of going senile in the White House, and I mean. You know, we, I think Bernie and Biden are in pretty good shape, but if that started happening when they're in the White House, that wouldn't be overly shocking. Yeah, I mean, age is obviously, age is obviously a is obviously a factor, and it's a legitimate thing to bring up. But I just, I mean, I think a lot of the people, so you, you brought this up, there's going to be people that are going to vote for him because he's a white guy. I don't necessarily know if that's the case, but even if that is the case, are, they, are, are those the same subset of people going to vote for a gay white man, though. If there's people who are hell-bent on voting for a white guy... Right, that's won't, a... Won't also that type of people, we're going to assume that some people have, have certain prejudices and bigotry, right? Right. Um, won't the fact that he's gay sort of, nullify, sort of cancel that out? It could nullify it to an extent, but I think also Pete is like, the fact that he's a former veteran, or I guess a current veteran, you don't become a former veteran, uh... He's a veteran, so he has like the army credentials, which I think really helps him out. And I think that Pete is one of the more impressive orators of the of the group, and has a very deep voice that's commanding. To where I mean, I just think that like a lot of people are going to hear him this big booming veteran talk and think, oh yeah, I kind of forgot that he's gay. Well, I mean, and besides that, I mean, Bushes has, despite his sort of limited legislative and questionable legislative record in South Bend. He has a couple of really strong things going from one. He has middle of the road policy position that will appeal to the sense that things are changing. It's a lot like Obama. That there's an appeal to the sense that things are going to change because there's going to be progressive elements of his politics, but also there's some very middle of the road, even closer to like center right policies when it comes to foreign policy, when it comes to taxes, when it comes to. The Bruges can also appeal to a lot of the people who like Biden, who like Kamala Harris, and they say, look, look, we like certain progressive elements, but when it comes to our taxes, when it comes to how we how we conduct ourselves diplomatically, we don't want to trend that far left. Exactly, and I think also, like, I, I love the Obama comparison because that's one that I previously made months ago, and I love when anytime someone agrees with me. Um, yeah, I know. You know, I feel like Obama and Pete, both of them are from Midwestern states. I think is, I think is very key in this election and just for Democrats in general. They come from middle. They come from Midwestern states. They are, in many ways, white guys. You know, Obama like, for as no, much as like no, he's. No, 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 no. I, I don't think that's fair to say Obama. I mean, Obama. I'm not saying Obama's not black, but I'm saying he's also half white, and they're certainly like. A lot of times you can look at him and he, like, you can look at him and think in the right light and he looks like a white guy. And so, like, and Pete is also a white guy that is close to being a minority because he, 
I mean, he is a minority, but like he looks like a white guy in appearance. So, so what you're trying to say is that they, start, they can sort of like straddle that line between, you know, what do you, I don't know what you're trying to say. Right, exactly. Straddle the line between being something that people are comfortable with because they like because they just know of white guys and presidents, but they also have more minority appeal, and it feels like people are being progressive and they feel good about voting for that too. Oh, so they start okay. I mean, I get, I, get, I get, so I get that point in a sense is that we find this with with a lot of minority politicians like Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz, where they'll be like, look, they're Hispanic, but all the optics and all the politics and all the sort of oratory um, tactics are mm. of conventional white American politics. Specifically, like Marco Rubio, right? Exactly, I and mean, I don't want to like, and again, like, like you said, I mean, it is still a significant difference with Obama because like. You're still like you're not gonna look at him and think like oh that guy is fully white like you're not gonna you're not gonna ever convince yourself of that or anything. Yeah, but I mean like I mean yeah I mean that's I guess that's what I was just pushing back. But but I but I mean like we do find this and I think it's 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 quite a sad thing that we have to do this and that people speak to this level. But we do this with minority politics politicians, especially when we have and this is why AOC Rashida Tlaib Ilhan Omar are getting attacked because they're not the typical minority politicians. Who are like Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, Bill Richardson, um, even like Julian Castro, right? Right. I was going to bring up Castro. I mean, like, you know, Castro's locking up for a VP spot. Right. I think he's definitely going to get that, and I think he. Or he's going to be a serious contender. I think he's. I think he's just kind of cut out to be a a vice president. I don't think he has the the power to make it through the primary. Not with this field. No, I think he needed to. I thought he needed to have a bigger impact after the first debates, and he just. I thought he was impressive, but I guess he just didn't do quite enough. And like we were talking about, I mean, like you talk about like compare Pete versus Julian Castro, and there's really, I don't think there's a a valid argument for why Pete should have been getting all that coverage months when the elections were first starting out versus Castro, because Castro like was a mayor of a much larger city. In San Antonio, much more impressive. And Castro's worked for the federal government. I mean, Castro's worked on a on a, a HUD, right? And that's clearly before we leave this topic. I do want to say though that it's you. It's some. It's really disheartening. It's something that we have to continue as people who want to see true representation of America, because that's what politics, um, representative government is. It's, it's representing the current state of America but we and, and the people within it and, and change and diversity is incredibly essential for progress. But we see this in our political discourses that we are still so fixated on, on this idea that we like the idea of having people of color running for office if the optics and the rhetoric and sort of the capitulation is typical of white American politicians which is something that AOC doesn't do, which is something that, and this is why these attacks, like, AOC is just as American as anyone, yet she's, she's getting this idea of, like, send, she's getting this rhetoric of send her back. Well, why? Because we still have a vast majority of people in this country who don't want to see the rhetoric and the, um, and uh, I don't know, I don't, just to say the way in which people conduct themselves, there has to be a certain standard that is inherently racist and um, problematic, but we see this with minority politicians all the time. So 
specifically Republican minority politicians and Democrats. We saw a bit of this with Obama, just a little bit. We see it. We see a lot of this with Cory Booker. We see a fair amount of this also with Kamala Harris. And this is not an insult to them because I don't think that they're doing this intentionally. I think that the conversation around them and their advisors, I don't think that, I'm not trying to accuse them of like selling out. Although I have very serious problems with Kamala Harris and Cory Booker. I'm just trying to say that like those are the type of minority politicians that we have come to accept but we refuse to accept the other, the other type. Does it sound, feel to you like I almost feel like well, you. That makes sense, right? You know, so like, I see what you. I was gonna say, like, could I sum up your point with that, like, almost like the difference between like the Democrats and the Republicans as it pertains towards minority politicians is that Republicans don't is that the Democrats want the minorities to be seen but not heard, and the Republicans just don't want the minorities at all. I think that's the that's a very succinct way. To, I think that I think that's basically what I'm saying is that the Democrats want to say that they represent people of color and marginalized communities without having um, true representation from from those communities. Do you think that... I mean, I think, it's, like, it's... have gotten better in certain aspects. You have, you have certain politicians who, um, who, are, who are making their voices heard, and but I think you're seeing that pushback from, from the the standard democratic leadership. Do you think that, like, I mean, I think this is a, probably a pretty fairly obvious point, but, I mean, I think if we're ever going to reach that point where minority politicians are going to have better chances, I mean, don't we, like, doesn't the first step have to be abolishing the Electoral College? Well, that's like a whole other podcast conversation. Right. Um, I mean, I, I, I would trend towards that. I think that, um, yeah, I think Electoral College no longer serves its purpose. I, I mean, and people are going to do the, well, here's the history lesson of why it's important. Like, yeah, I understand that. But history is also to be understood and recognized, and also we need to learn and modify our actions accordingly. I love how like, everyone acts like the, like the, I love the people who act like the Constitution was the be-all, end-all, as if we didn't have, like, the Three-Fifths Amendment in there. Yeah, I mean, look, the Constitution is, I think, I think Jeffersonian democracy in the Constitution is, it has a lot of brilliance to it. I think it's important, and I think it's set up an admirable system of government. But we have to be very clear that change has always been necessary when things become out of place and just unjust and wrong. What else? Slavery was obviously unjust, but the Electoral College is more just out of date. I mean, the largest state in our country, the fifth largest economy in the world, didn't exist. Yeah. 55 million people in California. There's like, how many million people in the colony? Well, also like, also no Texas. No Texas, no California, no, no, no Chicago, no, none of these places. So, anyway. Yeah. Um, do you, did you read the Al Franken piece? If you did, we don't need to talk I about did. it. I did read the Al Franken piece. All right. I'll say with Al, uh, I mean, look, Al Franken had several other accusations. I think he had seven or eight other ones. Yeah. Al Franken definitely did something wrong. I don't, I, I mean, unless you want to say that Al Franken, I mean, so what would be the explanation that he resigned? I mean, that, if, if he didn't think that there was something legitimate coming his way, 
Well, I guess he resigned. You could say maybe just to not say face, but to get the moral of a hand on the Republican Party, who obviously are supporting a president who has a myriad of accusations. But um, I don't know. I'm just. I, I, I read the piece, and, and and I didn't want Hal Franken to come back. And so, and he he represents my state. And he's someone that I, I voted for, and he's someone that I've that I've met. Not that that matters, but he's like I know people who've worked for him. It's like he's by all accounts like a really good guy to work with. But I was say by, there's some accounts that are they're indicating he's not a great guy. That's my point. My point is that he did things wrong, and it's clear. And even if this one accusation has some dubious claims in it, there's enough accusations of misconduct that there's something going on there. Right, and I just... I'm just really disappointed that the New Yorker posted this because I I personally view the New Yorker as one of the most... generally one of the most respectable outlets out there, and obviously they have a left-leaning um, yeah, point like, of view. they're a bit left of center-left, but they have, they have good... they write excellent features, and they have, by all accounts, good reporters and good writers. And not that this piece wasn't well reported, but it, it, it didn't seem that it needed to be written. Well, also, I feel like, you know, to an extent, like, I felt like a lot of the sources that Jane Mayer had were pretty um, redundant. They were pretty redundant with themselves. It was just a bunch of people who were like, yeah, well, you know, I wasn't there, but Al Frank is a great dude. Right. And which then, like... That I, which is something that I literally just told you. Right. I mean, and I'm not a source. And and also there were like a lot of ad hominem attacks against that woman. Like yeah. at one point yeah. she's like, oh, well, you know, part of it is that bitch was a bad actress. So she just didn't know what the fuck was happening. Like, how could you publish this? Yeah, it was it was a bad piece. Um, it was disappointing. It sparked an un- Look, it sparked an unnecessary conversation. I mean, look, it's look. We, yeah, I just Franken. I believe the the sort of the nearly the, I, it's almost it's almost ten women. I think it's maybe seven or eight who I I believe that there's definite credence to what to what's going on. Yeah, um, it just seemed like a weird time for it to come out too. I don't like. Do you think that we're ever going to reach? It feels like everyone keeps talking about a potential backlash to like the Me Too movement and all that. But for me, I don't really, I don't necessarily see that. I mean, I think some of it was a little like I thought the Aziz Ansari stuff went a little too far. But well, yeah, I, I mean the Aziz Ansari thing. Well, there, there was there died to the Aziz Ansari thing because Aziz Ansari also like we as men and. This, and this, this this hookup culture, we also, there's also this, um, like, consent is also about being comfortable and about being safe, and Aziz Ansari comes across as overly aggressive, and um, to the point of it being a bit, a bit scary for the woman. And not that Aziz Ansari legally, or, I don't know, not even a morality thing, but legally did anything wrong, but again, it's, it's also like this idea that this part, part of the Me Too movement is also just at a bare minimum. This is the basics. Like women need to feel safe around men. 
around people. Exactly. And that's why. I'm sorry, he didn't make this woman feel safe, and that's and that's a problem. Now he doesn't. no criminal charges. Um, but he. But that's a. But that's a something that everyone needs to have a serious reflection on. Like how. Like, yeah, and I think that he's. I'm sorry, he handled it quite poorly. Right, and I mean, like. And I was saying, like, that was probably, like, to me, the silliest thing that's come out of this movement. And even, like you said, a lot of that had merit. And, I mean, the guy didn't lose his career uh, out of it, first of all. So, like, really, it didn't end up that bad for him. And, quite frankly, the reason why it ended up poorly for him wasn't because anything legal like that or anything happened. But it was because he built up his entire persona on a lie that he was this good, trusting, woke guy. Yeah. Um. Exactly, and I because it's that's something where like you can un, that is something where I agree that is like a, a more learnable situation than like um, the Brock Turner thing is. There's very few instances where we would be like that seems to be plausible because that's just disgusting, immoral. But the Zizan sorry thing is like we could at least envision ourselves, you know, with a girl and. It was getting through, and that you know what I'm saying, right? And just and like misreading things too, misreading things, or just being overly aggressive and not understanding that part of the of me too is that we need to be more conscious of how women feel around men, right? And it seems like had no sort of conscious, especially for this quote unquote woke dude, that he was coming across as a man as incredibly intimidating, and aggressive. Right, and you can't just because I feel like a lot of guys approach it. Or I know I used to approach it this way, where I was like, you know, like, well, the girl's gonna feel comfortable with me because I'm not a rapist and she knows I'm a good guy. But you start to realize, like, you know, enough girls have had enough bad experiences with quote unquote good guys, where like a lot of them are just not gonna be comfortable if you do things that are somewhat aggressive or put them in a weird position. Like, just, like, like the whole concept of like we're good guys can also be very toxic. Like it just because then it requires no self reflection or criticism. Right. Like, oh, I could have done that because I'm a good guy. Or this won't happen because I'm a good guy. And it takes away like the human the human element, especially if you know I don't drink for myriad of reasons. But one of them is the lack of control. But especially when alcohol is involved or some sort of inhibitor is involved, right? Mm-hmm. Is that like, things happen, especially. Because this, this this idea that there's a cultural expectation of what people part of the, another element of the YouTube movement is dismantle this expectation that men have when it comes to women. Like if a girl comes to your house, she has to sleep with you, perhaps, or she has something has to happen, or like there's certain these like sort of physical expectations, and that's what the Aziz Ansari thing was also like. Look, she dictates what's going to happen. Right. And he had certain expectations that he wasn't flexible enough to, you know. 
Exactly. I mean, like, you know, I mean, the thing is, like, you go back and, like, you realize how pervasive the stuff is in the culture. Like, I remember there was the episode of The Office where Pam was about to go on a first date with a guy, and they were like, oh, yeah, she, he's taking me out to a really nice steakhouse. I want to order the most expensive thing on the menu. And Phyllis was like, yeah, you got to sleep with him then. And, like, that's just, like, that was just assumed. Like, oh, well, if you're going to order an expensive meal, then you have to sleep with him for that. And that's just the expectation that he gets to, in essence, buy your pussy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's just this idea that, yeah, and that stuff is, and The Office is a fairly harmless show. Right. And, and I think if you, and that, and that is the, the real, I mean, there's many, many, many valuable things in the Me Too movement, but that element is really important. This idea that men need to be women gaining autonomy over these situations, and and men just like look like they're not owed or deserved anything. Right. One last note on this: the office. What do you call it? If Michael Scott were not such a doofus, he would be one of the rapiest, creepiest bosses of all time. Yeah, Michael Scott. Yeah. Um. What do you call it? Him kissing Oscar is maybe not even top five creepiest thing he did. Um, but anyway, on to now that we've talked about lighthearted subjects, let's go to the serious things basketball. Yeah. Um, I was thinking the way we would do this is we could start either conference, whatever way you want to go, and then kind of talk about the, the top contenders uh, with teams that are most interesting to you. Um, so, do you want to go east or west first? All right, what team do you think is the most interesting to you in the East next year among the top contenders? Um, Philly, because I think Philly could be really good. I completely agree. Yeah, I mean, because I think, I think Philly has championship potential. Because um, there's part of me who is like, you know, Indiana got to be interesting this year. Um, you know, Boston with Kemba is it, it, interesting, and... Now that there's more space for these younger guys, maybe they take a leap. But I think Philly, I think Philly is has by far the highest upside. Maybe the Bucks, if Giannis takes another step. I think that the the lineups they have, where it is Joel Embiid, Al Horford, Josh Richardson, Matisse Thybulle, and Ben Simmons, I think that is a chance to be the best defensive lineup in the league and. In line with the the lineups last year, Toronto had where it was Gasol, Ibaka, Kawhi, Siakam, and Lowry. Absolutely, yeah. I think Philly has immense amount of flexibility. I think they um, their depth is pretty good. It's not great, but it's pretty good, and that depth can be added through, you know, as the season progresses. You know, guys who get bought out or guys who you know, like you saw, like you know, you saw that um, Toronto added Gasol, right? Right. So it's not inconceivable that they're not going to add another piece, but the depth is pretty good. Losing Redick hurts. They let a lot of steps for Redick. Redick was kind of a bailout for them, in the sense that Redick was someone that you could run plays for, as he allowed spacing. So, as much as I really like Josh Richardson, I think Josh Richardson is a really good player. And when we, there's the Jimmy Butler talk, as a Wolves fan, I wanted them to trade for Josh Richardson. Um, but apparently the Heat said no, which made sense because they just got Jimmy Butler. Um, but then they ended up having to trade Josh Richardson. But um, 
100%, I think that Philly, although there's two skeptical things I'm skeptical about, and I want to know if you are as well. One is Tobias Harris. I like Tobias Harris. I'm actually going to like him more than I used to. Why? I think there's some fit issues, and I think that there's, I think Tobias Harris at his best is a borderline all-star. I don't think he's a bona fide all-star, and that guy is a five-year max contract. Yeah, I mean, I think the issue, though, I mean, I think, not the issue, I think that you look around the rest of the East, though, and none of the other main contenders have a second star. And a point, this is going to be kind of a recurring theme for me, you'll see throughout our discussions, like, last year, especially in the playoffs, virtually every single lineup with Embiid was dominant. They shat on the opponent every single time Embiid was on the floor. Their issue was that they got... They they in turn got shat on every time Embiid was off the floor. I think that with Horford now, that is going to be ameliorated. And I also think that, and I also think that in line with the um, you were talking about how the Celtics, how perhaps Tatum and Brown are going to have because Kemba is going to replace Kyrie, they're going to have a little more freedom. I think that's going to be the case with Tobias without Jimmy Butler, and I think that's going to be huge for him yeah. because it, it felt like last year in the playoffs, particularly against Toronto, he, to a degree, got relegated to kind of like a catch-and-shoot role. I think he needs the ball in his hands a little more to get things going. Um, yeah, and I think, I think the big thing with Embiid that we need to talk about is that Embiid needs to be in better shape. Right. I know it's a, it's a talking point amongst a lot, pretty much every NBA podcast, but it, it's just true. Um, basketball's a ridiculously hard sport to play when you're out of shape. Right, I mean, I I think if Embiid is like in shape next year, I think in the playoffs he will be the best player in the East so over Giannis. Top five minimum if he's really fit. I mean, he's unbelievable. Right, um, you know, obviously there are the questions about Ben Simmons' jump shot, but you know, we saw the video of he took three shots in the video and made them all, so confirmed that he'll be good. I think Ben Simmons will be. Look, so there's this thing when we're growing up playing basketball and, and shooting coaches would always say this. And it's, for the large part, it, it's true. Is you make 80% of your threes just, you know, warming up, you're about a 40% shooter. So, in a game. That sounds so, about right. Yeah, so I... So, but I mean, I, I'll give you a great example. I remember watching Ricky Rubio warm up all the time. There's videos, Ricky Rubio hit 47 out of 53s. In practice, he's still, you know, I don't. Ben Simmons is not proven to be. The videos mean nothing. Is what I'm trying to say. That is perfectly fair. I mean, I'm just yeah. Do you think that this is kind of a hot take? But do you think there is a? What chance do you think there is that Kyle Korver opting to sign with the Bucks this week over the Sixers decides the East? Um, no, I don't think it decides it, but I think it, it, it's sort of in a several degrees of separation way can. For example, what I'm trying to say is that Kyle Korver will help facilitate Giannis' development. He'll just make him better, right? Like, he'll give him more spacing, and he'll mm-hmm. allow Giannis to be a bit more free in the offense. And he will, he fits Budenholzer's system. So, if he, if he, if sort of the additions elevate Giannis, I mean, again, if Giannis elevates and the people around him don't take a step back, they could go to the final. I think that the 
let's 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 transition to the Bucks here. I mentioned mentioned to this you to you off the pod, and I might have mentioned it on the pod, but I, I think the three point shooting with Giannis is a little the need for it's a little overrated. First of all, like Giannis at near the end of the year, pretty much if you let him, it was going to take a while, but he had a passable three point shot by the playoffs. Yeah. It, it was you know he was not going to be a catch and shoot JJ Redick type. But it was enough where you like had to respect it if he was at the top of the key. I think the bigger concern for Giannis is that his passing in the playoffs was not as crisp as it was in the regular season. And I think that he kind of got exposed as just an okay passer. Which, to, to be fair, I think LeBron has kind of warped our senses of what a superstar's passing ability should be. I think squad, like... They're very comparable physically. Giannis is a bit bigger, but they were these two big, exceptionally athletic players who kind of were like point forward. And Ben Simmons and LeBron could both pass, so he's instantly assumed Giannis could be a great pass. Was a great pass. Right, and you know if, because I, I think if Giannis can be a precision passer, then that's going to make that's not going to that's going to mean that the guys can't really double him in the post anymore like they could because if not, he's going to kick it right out to Middleton or to Corver for a three or to Lopez out somewhere. Um, that, to me, is what Giannis needs to do to take the next step. And if he does that, then I think you probably would argue the Bucks are the favorite in the East alongside the Sixers. Which is why, I mean, I think the Corver addition really helps. I mean, and those two teams are the clear favorite. And I also think that the Bucks are in a better position to make a move than the Sixers ha- are, simply because the Sixers have exhausted a lot of their assets to make moves. Yeah. Um, I think that the like buyout contenders are more, you know, hey, this player, this player just got bought out of a contract. Like when Marcus Morris does that in January and goes to the Lakers. Um, yeah, I mean, just some, something. I was going to say even Chris Paul, but anyway. I think that the Bucks, I think Eric Bledsoe's trade value is going to go up again in the regular season because he's going to be good again. Um, if I'm the, I mean, do you think the Bucks have a reasonable of have a viable path to getting Bradley Beal in a trade? Um. Yeah, yeah, I think they have a path, and if you. Fair amount of picks, basically max out their future flexibility. I think it'd be and worth it. Like sort of like the same kind of package that Houston did and the Clippers did, so the pick swaps as well in the mid twenty twenties. Um, I don't think that they have the best package, so I think that um, you'd have to. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I think there's a path, but I think it's it, there's not a great. Right, and because I think that like maybe you do like Bledsoe, f- Bledsoe, uh, some other filler, and then like four first round picks and a pick swap. Yeah, I mean something like that, right? But because um, I'm just thinking. Sorry. Yeah, well, I'm trying to think off the top of my head which 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 teams would really activate for two deals. Right, because I'm like probably the thing is that like another team could offer a better mainline asset than Eric Bledsoe. Um, I just, you know, I feel like Milwaukee is kind of on the clock here with Giannis. Not because I don't think he likes Milwaukee, but because I think that he's going to get pissed off 
that at a certain point there's going to be a ceiling for him where they can't get a second starter that wants to play in Milwaukee. Yeah. Look, I think that, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. And I think that Milwaukee had some flexibility, but I think that also losing Brogdon hurts them. Yeah, I mean, losing Brogdon hurts them a lot. Um, I mean, where would you, let's say they got Beal this year and they had a big, big four. I guess they wouldn't be a big four, but you know, this, let's say their big three is Giannis, Middleton, and Beal, and then they also have Brooke Lopez, if you want to call it a big four. I mean, where would that rank in the league for you? That's a good team. That's a really good team. I mean, that's probably the favorites in the East. Definitely, I'd say. And I, if you're the Bucks, how is that not worth Bledsoe and four first-round picks? It is. Yeah, I think so. Um, they have George Hill running point. Or, I mean, and basically Giannis running point, too. So. Right, yeah. But, I mean, and George, yeah. Well, you yeah, got, you're still really flexible. You still, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, if you went up to... But I think also they'd want you to take back some sort of... But you couldn't take back any contract. Right, they'd be limited because they'd need to match the salaries. So I don't know what they could do there. Maybe they'd have to add a third team. Right, it gets, again, there's a window, but it's, it's difficult. Right. Um, so who do you think, after those two teams, is the most interesting in the East among the contenders? After those two teams in the East. We can go Pacers, Celtics, Nets, or Raptors. Right. Or Magic. No. <laughs> the Celtics. Look, I think the Celtics, I mean, it's not inconceivable that Gordon Hayward could turn out to be really good. He might, he won't be, I don't think he'll be great again. Which he, he was pretty close to great when he, before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. But if Hayward's really good and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum take a step up and Kemba Walker is the same level of player that he was last year, and I, I mean, I trust, I think Brad Stevens is a good coach. Maybe he's not a god that everyone says he is, but he's a, he's, he's a damn good coach. I mean, I think Boston is. Boston is, There's a, again, there's a path. I don't think it's going to happen. I, and I think they're below um, the Pacers and the Bucks, but I think Boston is, Boston is a team that I could conceivably see making the final. They are, I think they would need to make a trade probably, but... I mean, you're asking which team is has a better chance to get uh, bl- could put together a better package for Bledsoe, or I'm not sure for Bledsoe for Brad- Bradley Beal. I think it's the Boston Celtics, and I think if you have a Celtics team, you know, I, I don't know if I'd want to give up Jalen Brown, but you know, maybe you know, with Jalen Brown enter- entering the contract here, I think you could argue that you know, oh, 100, give up Jalen Brown, especially because. I think that you could take Beal, and I think you could, because you have his bird rights, I think you would offer him a lot of money. You could just extend it. Right, so the, basically because basically, what you'd be looking at is do you want to extend Brown or do you want to extend Beal? And I would so much rather extend Beal because I think that their window is now. Their window could be now with Kemba there. And Beal's a good bridge guy between, the, between Kemba and Tatum where they could contend now and also be set up for long term. Well, I like Jalen Brown, but I think that I don't think he ever should have been a sticking point. But he certainly isn't anymore. Definitely not. Do you think that? Do you, what, let's say they traded Jalen Brown and some picks, and then also like some cap, some salary filler, maybe Marcus Smart 
something like that. Uh, if they do that, and they have Kemba, Beal, Tatum, Haywood, Ennis Cantor, and Robert Williams down there, are they are they the favorites? No, we're not the favorites. But they're on the same tier as Philadelphia and Milwaukee. No, I think that underrated. I don't think they'd be the favorites. I think that they. I think it's underrated this year. I I think one of the big topics of the year is going to be a, to a degree, a renaissance of needing big men, because my belief is that the idea of like the center dying the last few years has been highly overstated, and it's the reason why is because we've been in a Golden State universe. And you look at it, the most important positions to have in the NBA are the ones that whoever are the ones that can guard whoever the best players and the best team are. And for the past few years, you didn't have great teams with dominant centers that you had to guard against. So you know Rudy Gobert against the Warriors or against the Rockets is not all that valuable. But when you have teams like when you have contenders like the Lakers with Anthony Davis, who we'll get to, or the Sixers with Joel Embiid, like we talked about, or the Bucks with Robin, with uh, Brooke and Robin Lopez, but also Giannis, who is basically a big man as well. I don't know that I trust, you know, I I don't think that you could just have a defensive, I don't think you can just have a defensive center on the floor guarding them either, because that means you have a black hole on offense. Sure, I mean, our traditional centers, obviously, sort of going by the wayside, you know, I grew up as a Wolves fan after KG, you know, watching Al Jefferson, and Al Jefferson was a really good player. Top five at MVP with the Charlotte Hornets one year? Yeah, he was a really good player, but he, he even in his peak right now, would be very devalued. Right, but I'm talking, so like... But, 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 you're, but what you're talking about is right, and then we're talking about sort of, not even unicorn bigs, but bigs that can... Um, Three and D bigs. Yeah, I mean, like, Carl Anthony Towns is, is also in this category. I think Carl Anthony Towns is biased for one of the best players in the league. I think he's just, I think he's better than Russell Westbrook. No question. Definitely. Definitely. I, I would say, like, I think there are... I think Cat is... Hot take. I think Cat is better next year than Paul George. We'll get to that later, but that's a hot I take. I don't think that's a hot take. I think I think Cat... I think Cat... I don't think he's a top ten player now, but I, I expect him to be next year. Yeah. And I... I around him. Is not very good. Right. Um, but that's all. I mean, like, we're, we're not going to talk about Right. So, anyway, I think, like, the Celtics, I think they would, I think they would be in line. So, uh, with that, with that in mind, I think that big men, I think that's, I think that puts the Raptors in a great position at the trade deadline to extract a lot of value out of Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol, the expiring contracts. Because if you're the Clippers or you're the Celtics and Gasol, or Ibaka is the difference in being able to guard Anthony Davis or Joel Embiid or Giannis Antetokounmpo and get to the finals. I think that's worth like two first round picks. Um, I don't think it's worth two, and I think I think, but I, I think that I think that um, they do. I think the Raptors would do it for for. Okay, I'll give you an example. So, well, actually, no, they don't want to have it. I think they would do it two for some. They would be able to get some assets. That's that's the trade exception out of it. Right. So, that's. Yeah, I mean, the first round pick, yeah. Um. So, so so it's a first round pick because it also is beneficial for Toronto because they don't have to pay the rest of the salary. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. Also, they get a trade exception out of it, meaning that they have future salary cap flexibility, and then they get a pick. I mean, and again, I think the Raptors aren't really blowing it up, but in a sense, they're building around Siakam and a couple of the younger players, and they're they're not they're they're not going to be a contender for a couple years. No, I mean, I think that they can win a playoff series next year, even if they unload Ibaka or Gasol. Um, I think that, like, moving forward, though, I think they're in a great position. And I think that, really, if you're talking about a team that could potentially make a run at selling, I think Giannis is one of the only guys I could ever see wanting to sign with the Raptors. Because he's an international guy, and like I think the idea of playing with Siakam in an organization that has proven itself to be one of the most well-run in the NBA in a very international city for a guy who like you know came came from Greece via Africa or Africa yeah, via Greece, however you phrase that. And he, and he has, uh, and it's not just that they're both uh, from Africa, but he has a documented relationship with Messiah Jerry. Well, that too. I mean, that's just it's just yeah. Um, I think the this is I, we don't need to get into this, but I think that the top I think the top two contenders for Giannis are going to end up being among them are going to be Dallas and Toronto, uh, yeah, along with Milwaukee, obviously. Right, I'm talking about non-Milwaukee options. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess that just leaves us the Brooklyn Nets and the Pacers. Which one do you want to talk about first? I mean, let's go with Brooklyn, I guess. Your, your Brooklyn Nets? Yeah, the Brooklyn Nets that I'm going to be paying $100 a month for cable to watch because NBA League Pass is bullshit. Are you really? Oh, and they took down Reddit NBA streams, which is... Yeah, which is was really bad. Um, which is probably one of the sadder things that I've heard in a while. Right. I mean, I'm... You're, like, going pretty well if that's one of the sadder things that you've heard in a while. Right. I mean, I'm just, I'm just furious that, like, I'm paying 150 bucks or whatever for League Pass and I don't get the Nets or Knicks at all. Um, Man, yeah, that's... I mean, the Knicks, whatever, fuck it. But yeah, no Nets. I think... I mean, to be fair, though, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not super interested in watching the Nets this year. I like their team a lot. I like Kenny Atkinson. I like a lot of their role players. Um, I mean, I'm interested to see what they do. I don't have any expectations for them in the sense that I don't think they're... I don't think that they're a conference final caliber team. I didn't even win a playoff series. But what, we, what, what do you expect from the Nets? Well, you know, I've seen a lot of people make comparisons to um, the Celtics from last year. They're like, oh, well, you know, it's a young team. And they're replacing the young point guard with Kyrie. He's going to mess up the chemistry. He's going to mess up the chemistry. And that just, like, doesn't take into account a lot of major factors. Like, first of all... Kyrie, like, last year Kyrie was in year two with the Celtics, not year one. So, like, there was still time for that relation. Those relationships had, to a degree, begun souring, or at least had a year to sour. That's not going to be the, that's not gonna be as much of a case this year. I could, now maybe next year that might start being be more of an issue. And more importantly, the players that he's around are more guys that are, Fine with being role players and off-ball guys more so more so than the Celtics. You know, and the one guy that Kyrie would have to worry about pissing off Karis Levert is one of the guys that lobbied hard enough for, hardest for him. He and, uh, yeah, and also Spencer Dinwiddie. Oh yeah, Dinwiddie. Yeah, and Dinwiddie. Those two are the ones that would be threatened. 
and they're perfectly comfortable with him coming. And I think that a guy like Joe Harris, he's going to be fine playing off-ball Kyrie. Kurok's going to be fine. Yeah, I think that's a lot of role players versus... Yeah, I really you have Jared Allen. I think he's a really nice player. Right. Um, and they have DeAndre Jordan now. So, I'm, you know, I think that you look at that... I think you look at their top seven. Um, they also have that first-round pick. Uh, Croatian motherfucker. White guy you could pass. And just hired as their assistant general manager, a guy I uh, went to school with. So shout out to Andy Birdsong. Hey. Um, the assistant GM. So they're, I mean, in all seriousness, they're a really well-run organization, and they have an excellent coaching staff. I mean, we we poach Pablo Prigioni from their staff. Wow. We, we, we also poach. Who else did we get? We got a, we got we got their former assistant general manager. So I mean, like we the Gerson Rosas has been just. Taking people from Brooklyn for a reason. It's a good place to steal from, and I think that. Yeah. I, I think that they're gonna. I don't think they are by any means like a finals contender, but you know I don't see why this team couldn't surprise and win like fifty games or something. Because yeah. I think that they have seven good. I think winning fifty games and winning a playoff series is is, is perfectly reasonable. Right, and be like really fun to watch. Like I think they have seven good players, and. You know, I think, and it sets up well where you're like, you know what? We're, it's going to set up for a narrative where they say, you know, entering next year, like maybe they're a dynamic scoring forward away from winning the championship. And oh shit, there's a guy like that right in the fucking building for them, ready to go win a championship. Yeah. Um, Do you think Durant plays at all this year? No, I mean, yeah, they, I, I mean, they couldn't be that stupid. No, I don't think he will. I was just wondering. Right. Um, I'd say, yeah, no. I mean, so let's get, let's talk to the pace, about the Pacers last because I think like we could agree like these six teams that we're talking about, we feel very confident will make the playoffs, barring tragic yeah. injury. Even tragic. I mean, even if something tragic happens, the um, the East is terrible. So right. Um, obviously, I think with the Pacers, like the big story is like when does Victor Oladipo come back? And how effective is he when he comes back? Yeah, I mean, with this type of injury, I think he, he, there's a very conceivable chance he'll be very effective. I think that Brogdon helps him a lot. I think the Pacers, I think, in a, and I'm not trying to just be overly simplistic, but I think they're very similar. Very different personnel, but very similar to what we're talking about with with Brooklyn is where they could conceivably be, you know, a high 40, low 50 win team. I mean, they won 48 games last year. Yeah, and I mean, a player I'm really interested in seeing if he takes a step is, um, Jeremy Lamb? Oh, Sabonis, yeah. That front court is extremely interesting. Yeah, because I think, I mean, Turner's a really nice player. Right. And And I don't think that Sabonis is is some world class player, but I think Sabonis is is, is has, has the chance to be extremely good offensive player who could perhaps be passable on defense. Right, and you know because they also added T.J. Warren, who I like at power forward, and they drafted yeah, the, Suns, the Suns giving away T.J. Warren didn't really make a lot of sense. Most of the Suns' moves this off season were just and that is like. I, even like the even Michael Jordan, the Hornets are like, "Yo, what the fuck are y'all doing?" Yeah, your contract doesn't look as bad if you like if you only compare it to, with what the Suns did. 
Right. Um, and who, with that, by the way. The Suns drafted um, Goji, some shit, at 15th overall, a center that a lot of people like. So I think that, you know... No, sorry, not the Pacers did. Sorry, the Pacers did. Yeah, yeah. At, like, 15 overall that a lot of people like and think could play in the NBA. So, I mean, along the lines of what I was saying earlier about Toronto being able to get a decent return for Gasol or Ibaka, I think the Pacers could get a ridiculous return for someone like Miles Turner to the Clippers. Yeah, but what, but what, what are the Clippers going to... Um, maybe Montrezl Harrell? But I guess why? Yeah, I would do. I would do that. Would do? Would you do? Like the Clippers or the Pacers? Clippers. I mean, especially because I think I think Harold's a really nice player. I think he's. I think that he fits their rotation really well. I don't. I don't think that Miles Turner is that much better than Montrose Harold. Probably not. Yeah, I guess Harold's like an underrated defender too, because I like Har- I think Harold's a good player, a really good player. He um because like he's shorter, but like he's got like the seven four wingspan, so like he's de facto seven feet and tall. Harold's a better role player, and you need him. As, you need role players. You're not you're not star hunting, and if you are star hunting, you're not going to get him out Right. Um. Do you have anything else to say about the Pacers, or do you want to just no, transition to Clippers? All right. I like, I like the Brogdon signing. They maybe gave him too much money, but right. I mean, I, I think like they have an interesting core of like a three-headed guard attack of like Lamb, Oladipo, and Brogdon. Oh uh, yeah, I like Jeremy Lamb. Um, and then what do you call it? What, what were your impressions of Jeremy Lamb? You watched him more than I did. I mean, he was the Hornets' best player, second best player last year. I mean, he had like, I mean, he had like two or three of the most ridiculous game-winning shots of the year last year. Yeah, I remember. I, mean, I remember that. Yeah. The one at Toronto was just like fucking stupid. Um, yeah. So I, I think the Pacers could be. I think they're a team that could. I think they match up pretty well against Philly because of their because of their size. I would love to see a first or second round Pacers-Sixers series. I think that could go six and be physical and nasty, and I need it. Yeah. Um, Man, you're you're in football mode. Oh, yeah, training camp's coming up. Um, But, I mean, I mean... Is Kirk Cousins going to be the MVP or the unanimous MVP? Mm, I think there will be some dissent. Um, You think there'll be some dissent? Yeah. Right, he might be... He might split it with Stephon Diggs. Um, yeah, and, and um, Jared Bradbury. Yeah, actually, on the low, I, uh, I I think the Vikings are going to win the division, but I think the second team from the NFC North makes the playoffs, and I don't think it's the one that you think it is. Are you going to the Packers? No. Are you going to the Lions? Yeah. Okay. I'm telling you, man, they're going to, like, they have the most man, underrated. If the, if the Lions are good, that division is brutal. It's a brutal fucking division. I mean, I think the Lions have the most underrated defense in the league. Our schedule is not very good. Sorry to cut you off, but our schedule is not very difficult. So I think that we will win 10 games. Barring shitting the fans, which is very likely. Right, I mean, I think that the... um, the, I'll make this my last football point before we get back to the basketball. I think that getting Gary Kubiak and Rick Dennison to run the running game was the most underrated addition of the entire offseason. For us? No, I'm saying, for, I'm saying it's the most underrated for, like, for y'all getting them, I like... Know, but, Frank, 
Kubiak for the Vikings. Yeah, Kubiak and Dennis. I'm saying that like in the entire league was like the most underrated addition because that is going to transform the Vikings offensive line from one of the worst to one of the most efficient overnight, and that's going to change everything. I mean, maybe they do, but, like, that really hurt them last year. Right, because it, I mean, just the timing of it, like, right before the season, you have no yeah, time to adjust to that. Excellent coach. Right, I mean, you look at the Patriots, like, Dante Scarnecchia, their offensive line coach, has been, this outside of Brady and Belichick, the, the most integral part of that, of their success. Yeah, and I think, I think people are, people are, people who know football, not me, think that Garrett Bradbury is a pretty good player. Right, and I think he is a perfect fit for them. Yeah, um, yeah, I think people and, and their skill players are great. Dalvin Cook, I think, is a really good player. Right, and um, maybe uh, I like the the tight end combination, Irv Smith Jr. and Kyle Rudolph. Um, I think, yeah, I think adding, as I say, adding the adding the tight end and their defense should be good. Bar coming back helps. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a Zimmer defense. So, do you think that uh, in the West, how would you? Who do you think is the favorite? Um, the the Clippers. Not by much, but the Clippers. How do you think, uh, what do you think I think? Oh. Okay, uh, can I have two guesses? Well, if you get two guesses, okay, what, do you, what are you going to guess? Fine, I'll take one guess, fine. Um, the Lakers. Yeah, I thought, were you going to do Lakers or Warriors? Because you thought I was going to get real whack. I was going to do Lakers, and then I was going to, like, I was saying maybe he's just going rogue and say the Rockets. Oh, no. I mean, I think the Rockets are going to be better than people think. Um, I, think the Rockets, I, I think the Rockets are still a contender, for sure. Right. I mean, um, we'll get... Let's just talk about the Rockets. Let, let's just talk about the Rockets now, actually. Um, I think that... The, I think that the... Um, I think that, like, the, the entire discussion this offseason about the West has been just so hilarious. And just speaks to how, like, to recency bias and just how stupid some sports fans are. I have heard... Yeah. More people talking about the Nuggets and the Blazers and the Jazz than the Rockets. And first of all, let's recall what happened. I mean, to as, you mean, okay, to, to be fair, just to clarify, you mean as contender. Right, I've the heard. The Rockets have gotten a shit ton of talk, a conversation with them, but because they're based traded for Russell Westbrook. Right, right. I'm saying, like, I've heard more talk about those teams being contenders next year than the Rockets. And. What do you, I mean, I mean, let's just let's just break it down all the way for for all of them. Uh, what happened the last? I mean, I really like the additions the Jazz made, but let's just look when what happened the last two times the Jazz faced the Rockets in the playoffs. The Rockets took a massive dump on them. They shat all over Utah. Well, they're 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 a they're a massive nightmare for them. Exactly. I mean, exactly. And James and. They don't the at this point. I mean, Rudy Gobert is an excellent player, but Donovan Mitchell isn't an isn't an elite basketball player yet. No, he is. If, if Donovan Mitchell is one of the top three or four shooting guards in the NBA, then the Jazz are a legitimate contender. Right. But he just he just isn't at this point. Right. I mean, and the Jazz are the one. T- I mean, the Jazz are the, those three teams are the one I take the most seriously because I think they can be elite, elite defensively. Um, but again, I, I still would. I think at this point, Houston should be taken more seriously. And then you just look at the Blazers Nuggets. I mean, okay, the Blazers got to the conference finals. Did you not yeah. consider that maybe it's because they faced Oklahoma City, where like Paul George is hurt, and then they played Denver, who's okay? I mean, like Portland got swept by Golden State in the conference finals. 
Houston last year took Golden State to six, and the year before, if they could just hit a fucking three, they beat the Warriors in seven games. Yeah, I mean, Houston Houston is, I mean, especially, I mean, we're getting, they're going to have Eric Gordon in the contract year. They're going to have Clint Capella, who I think is still a pretty good player. I think his, he had problems last year, but I think those are fixable. And I think, yeah, and I think D'Antoni's still a really good coach. And um, what I think, like, the one thing that everyone, I mean, I, I hear so many people talking about, well, you know, I just think that Chris Paul is a better fit with James Harden because he's a good shooter. Uh, and Russell Westbrook ain't a good shooter, so therefore the fit is bad. But that doesn't consider the fact that, first of all, Chris Paul has not played 60 games in three years. Whereas Russell Westbrook has proven to be one of the most durable players in the NBA, that yeah. cannot be understated. And uh, like we talk, we talk all the time about like James Harden kind of gets tired in the playoffs because he has to take such a load. You know, having someone like Russell Westbrook who's actually having his second star who's going to play the whole season, that's really going to lighten James Harden's burden. I mean, Chris Paul was a better fit in terms of just his ability to spot up and shoot and his ability to. Um, Take, I think, take control of the offense. I mean, Chris Paul's one of the best point guards of all time. Well, I'm not saying he wasn't like a better fit. But, I, but, I, but, I, but what I'm saying is, I, I agree with you, and I think I think Westbrook is at this point just a better player. You've added this season a better player. Right, and I think too that, you know, I think more importantly, I think that the the lineups when Harden is off the floor with Westbrook are going to be a lot better than the ones with Chris Paul last year. Because, you know, we really haven't seen Westbrook in an offense with these kind of shooters around him. I think that Westbrook can really ex- excel in that. And also, I think slept on is that Westbrook is going to offer a dynamic for this team in the fast break that they really have not had because Harden does not... We think of D'Antoni as a fast guy, but, like, the Rockets really have not run in this era with James Harden. They've kind of been a kind of a slow, slower-paced team. Right. Whereas Westbrook, he's going to have a few times a game where he's just going to catch a rebound and just rock it down, you know, not unintentional pun there, rock it down the floor and go get the easy layup. And that can be 8 to 10 easy points a game that the Rockets were not getting with Chris Paul. Right. Well, and we got Westbrook again. Maury and Maury did this with, with Paul. Maury, Maury has this idea that if we can get the best players possible, um, we'll figure it out. And Westbrook was just a superior player. And, it's, and he... He is going to. I mean, look. If, if you're gonna have a, if you're gonna have a point guard split between Russell Westbrook and James Harden, that's pretty crazy. Right, and I think that, like, you know, when James Harden, there's so many plays when like James Harden just didn't want to do anything. Like James, like when Russell Westbrook takes the ball, if you just stick James Harden in the corner, you have to respect him. So he can just stand there and occupy a defender and not exert that much energy, and you still have an effective offense. Um, so I think I personally think that the Rockets, I will, I'm going to predict that the Rockets will have the best record in the West in the regular season. I do not, I don't think that they are as good come playoff time. This is going to be the assumption that Clay Thompson comes back healthy. I do not think they are as good come playoff time as the Lakers, Clippers, or Warriors, potentially the Jazz, depending on their defense. But I think that they will have the best record in the regular season. Okay, I I'm. I think that I think if I'm going to be either them or the Denver Nuggets. Okay, I mean I think that those are both plausible. Um, 
So let's let's get into it. It seems pretty logical that most people agree it's going to be the Lakers or the Clippers that are the favorites going into next year. You think Clip? They're not strong favorites. Right. Okay, but most but it's still like because like just as presently constructed because like we do think that like Denver, Golden State, Portland, some of these other teams could make moves and that could shift the landscape. So it you know Clay Thompson coming back for Golden State and I mean if he's if he's Eighty percent. That team's really good. Right. So that's that's another great team. Also, um, if D'Angelo Russell is it fits well with them. I mean, their their ceiling is, is high. Right. Right. Um, so a Golden State, I think, is a is a close third. Um, you think you think they're a close third? I mean, I don't know if I'd put them third. You think they're better than? You think they're more? You think they're more threat than Denver or Utah? Yeah. Or, I mean, like, in the, are you kidding me? Like, in the, I mean, like, let's just, like, I mean, to say it out, I mean, like, we were talking in the finals and, like, the playoffs, like, man, Steph Curry's so underrated. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, mean, I just think that, like, yeah. I mean, like, in the playoff series when they have, if you have a healthy Klay Thompson and a healthy Steph Curry, how many duos are better than that? Yeah, I mean, I agree. And Draymond Green's still a very good player. Right. And if D'Angelo Russell can sort of be a Swiss Army knife for them, um, if he can skip five shots and also take you off the dribble. Um, and create spacing. I think, yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I like, you know, I like James Harden. I like Dame Lillard. I, I really like Nikola Jokic. I just don't think any of those guys are Steph Curry. No, no. I mean, and obviously the addition of Jeremy Grant helps. I get why they did it. Definitely. Um, I personally, I think the Nuggets, that's another team who I'd love to see package something like Gary Harris and then... That's the Bradley Beal definition. That's what I'm saying. Like Gary Harris and someone else and some picks for Bradley Beal. Then we're talking about a fucking contender. Yeah, Murray. Yeah, exactly. And I think and I think they have the best package. Arguably. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a lot of moving parts. But preseason, as currently constructed, most people feel Lakers or Clippers. You feel Clippers. I feel Lakers. I'll let you have the floor. Yeah, so I think I mean I think the the Clippers have a much better supporting cast. They, I don't think they have a better one-two punch, but it's pretty close. Depending on how good LeBron is, I mean if LeBron is still LeBron, they don't. But I think that they have. I think I like their system better. I think they they have. Uh, I know. I mean, some disrespect to Frank Vogel, but he's a good coach. I think Doc Rivers is a better coach. I think they have a better bench. I think they have. The ability, I think they have better role players. So I think that while they're not miles better, I think that um, I have more confidence that they're gonna that they could um, that they could win the West. Okay, I mean they have they certainly last year proved a lot um, with what they did, and like a lot of people have made the point that it's in essence the same team, but you sub out SGA and Danilo Gallinari for Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Um, that's not bad. Right. I do think that... Pat Beverly is still there. Right. Lou Brach is a good player. Harold, Lou Williams. I think that... Um, first off, I think that people are understating just how good SGA and Danilo Gallinari were last year. Like, I'm not I'm not saying that like those guys were... like They obviously were not Kawhi and Paul George level. But Gallinari averaged like 22 points a game and was like, and it's had ridiculous shooting numbers. And SGA was one of the, was incredible. So, 
the jump is not quite as big as people are making it out to be. And I have some concerns about like their final like you'd say like their final five lineup, it would probably be something like you'd want George, Kawhi, Pat Bev, and then what, like uh maybe Zubat Harrell and then Shamit? Yeah, maybe. Cause I just don't yeah. like I like Lou Williams a lot as like a six man scorer type, but he is so bad defensively that I just yeah. don't think I would want him on the floor yeah, late in games. Right, who I think he's a good shooter, okay defender. Um, the weird thing is that I feel like this sounds crazy, but I honestly I think that I have a better idea of what the Lakers are going to look like than basically any contender but the Bucks. I mean, well, that's, I mean, that, that is definitely true. Then it's up to interpretation of, um, that's up to interpretation of how good are they then. We know what they are. Right, because I just, I've seen what the LeBron team looks like, but this time, except this time that he has fucking Anthony Davis to work with. And I think yeah. that, like, obviously it would have been great if they got Kawhi, but I was pretty impressed with the squad they were able to get around, and they had a... They have a lot of guys that can defend and also shoot threes off the catch and shoot, which is all you need because you have LeBron distributing it to them. And I, I think that really like, I don't really like what they did after losing out of Kawhi, but I mean, I get uh, Danny Green signing's fine, Avery Bradley's all right. I, I like Case or KCP, but I, the Rondo contract made no sense to me. Right, I think maybe he's your backup point guard. I, I don't. I'm viewing all of, like, the thing is, I view all of these players in the context of a LeBron offense. And, sure. and, and, and the, in the context of, like, them playing on the floor with LeBron and AD. And I think that you made the point that you don't think that the, the Clippers 1-2 is that far away from the Lakers 1-2. And that's where I just disagree. Well, because again, I, I did hedge and say, it, like, LeBron is about to be 35 years old. If LeBron doesn't take a step back, then the Lakers are definitely a step above it. Right, like my my thinking is that LeBron has I would I feel comfortable thinking that he will be classic LeBron in the playoffs this year. After this year, I start to have is when I'm starting to get kind of concerned about things um, because I you know a lot of people bring up the minutes stuff, but I mean how close would it be if we also had Michael Jordan's like college minutes? Like a lot of we're not counting the college minutes for a lot of these players like we are with LeBron, so that's like a big part of it. So another thing that Baxter Holmes wrote this piece about AU and the, the minutes pool that a lot of these players take, and you know, yeah, you could factor in MJ's college minutes, but MJ didn't grow up playing nearly as much basketball as LeBron. That's also fair. So I mean that that could be a contributing factor. That's I'm not going to deny that. I think it's something that at least needs to be entered into the conversation. Right, and so I think there are, um, I think there are two fat like, I think also like first of all, like LeBron and Kawhi next year. I think Kawhi was so good last year that I have to say that I will consider them equals for the playoffs. Hmm. Um, with just in a vacuum, consider them equals. I think that Kawhi deserves that respect. Yeah, for sure. I think that Paul George, not enough is being made about the shoulder surgery, and not even the part about him not missing the beginning of the season. But yeah, I think I think people forgot that. But also, like, are we sure? Like, 
After Patty Mills got shoulder surgery, the year after that, his shooting numbers took a major dip. And they were fine after that. But for that one year, the shooting was not the same. And what does Paul George, if he cannot, if he's not at the 40% three-point shooter that he has been the past few years, if he's down to 33% shooting, I don't think that's a top 10 player. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I agree with that. That's a, that's a, that's a fair point. And also, I think that we are... I think that Kawhi and Paul George's defense are both highly overrated at this point in their careers. They I used don't think Kawhi's defense is overrated. Well, I think it's it's overrated in the sense that like when he want when he really turns it on, he can be a dominant defender. But he has to shoulder so much of an offensive burden that he just can't he's do that. Not gonna have to for the majority of the year. They're gonna do a lot of the same stuff that they did in Toronto. To a degree, yes, but I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, it took a lot out of him to be guarding the Kawhi as well. Um, but that, that's fair. I think Paul George more so, I think, defensively. I... There are more question marks with Paul George. Uh, um, again, if Paul George returns to the form that he was for the first 60 or 70% of the season last year, I mean, they're crazy good. Right. And I also think that underrated is that I think Kawhi and Paul George is a fine combination. I don't think they interfere with each other in the same way that we're talking about like potential fit issues with Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Right. But I think that LeBron and Anthony Davis is one of the most perfect combinations of players we have ever seen. Where I think that being together is going to enhance each other so much. Specifically Anthony Davis. Because he has never played with as good of a passer as LeBron. And that's... You, know, you look at... Anthony Davis's shooting numbers when he is dribbling is when he's the one initiating the offense versus when he is catching the ball and is in a position to just get it and then go score. He's so much more efficient when he does that. And he could be I think that he is in line for a for a season where he shoots like 60% from the field and if he shoots around 60% from the field and averages 18 shots per game, you're looking at about 32 points a game. So if he has like 32 and 13, shooting 60 per, 60% of the uh, shooting 60% from the field and is a defensive player of the year candidate, which I think he will be, I think that's the MVP of the league. Right, I mean, I think, I think he spelled out all the, I mean, Davis has a conceivable path to the MVP and he's going to have to play better defense, which he definitely can. Um, I don't know if he's going to shoot 60%. I mean, I'm, I, definitely, I could definitely see him as a 20, 29, and 12 guy. I mean, because the thing is, like, I'm, t- I'm, what do you call it? The thing is that, like, Anthony Davis, the numbers I'm talking about, are, like, are not that dissimilar from the ones he put out, like, the last two years before. No, I understand. I understand. I understand. But I think, I think with the usage and I think with the fact that LeBron is going to be, they, he hasn't played with a guy who's still going to score 25 a game before, which LeBron is. Right, but I think that he's going to be, like, I think LeBron is going to be much more of a facilitator than a scorer, particularly in the regular season. Because remember, they still got to sell Anthony Davis on coming back. No, he's coming back. Probably is, yeah. Um, so I think I think Davis is going to win MVP, and I just think that LeBron and AD together, I think those are going to be two of the three best players in the league next year in the offense together. And I think that I think it's just going to be more like Kawhi as a top three to four player in the league. Um, basically, I, I I kind of view like. LeBron, Kawhi, um, like Giannis, Steph, or whatever, are all like, and, and Davis, those five are like immortals. Where like any one of them you can call number one in the league, and I will not 
I will not choose to not engage in an argument with you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's some, yeah, I agree. We're not first Right, versus I think Paul George will be closer to like the 13th best player in the league. And within that, I think that's a major difference. And when it comes down to the end of the games, I think that the lineups, I think a lineup of LeBron, Anthony Davis, like KCP, Danny Green, and then um, like Avery Bradley, I think that'll be a better final lineup than what the Clippers have. Even if like you could argue that like the three, four, five, six, seven guys are more important, I just think that like with those other guys on the floor, they will be better. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be so much the other guys on the floor as it's going to be just the fact that you're going to have Anthony Davis and LeBron are going to be so good that the other guys are decent players, but they just do enough. Right, that's that's what I mean. Like they're good enough defensively to not shit the bed. They're good enough shooting to not make the floor completely collapse on LeBron and Anthony Davis. For for the LA is that those role players are just fine. Right. Which is very by very definition kinda what you expect from those role players. That they're just fine. I mean have you have we ever seen a pick and roll as dynamic as we could have where it's potentially LeBron and Anthony Davis both charging at the basket. That is the scariest thought I've ever thought yeah, of in my yeah, life. The Steph Curry Durant pick and roll was pretty nice. Right. Well, I, I just mean in terms of like physically imposing driving to the rim. Steph Curry Durant is probably more offensively efficient. Because like Magic and like Kareem was a little too old and wasn't really a pick and roll guy as much with Magic. Andrew, you dead? Um, okay, so like, what do you think the most likely outcome? We kind of exhausted the Clippers-Lakers discussion. What do you think the most likely outcome for the Warriors is this year? Do you think that it's more likely the, the Warriors miss the playoffs or more likely that the Warriors win the finals? I would agree with that. What do you think? So let's say, like, let's say Clay Thompson. We'll be conservative about it. I think he'll come back around the beginning of March, and they'll slowly integrate. Right, they'll slowly integrate him. I don't think he will be fully a part of the things until the playoffs. I mean, what at that point? What do do, what does D'Angelo Russell need to do for the Warriors to still make the playoffs despite that? Because I think you and I both agree the West is loaded. This year. Yeah, I mean, Russell just has to be, I think. I think, again, Russell has to do a good job of playing off the ball. I mean, he's a very ball dominant player, but I think if he can, if he can hit, catch and shoot threes at, you know, upper 30s, low 40% clip, mm-hmm. I mean, that'd be obviously be ideal. But if he can also be, you know, if Steph needs to rest, I mean, he's also insurance for Steph Curry. You know, he's someone who can hold your head above water if Steph Curry. You know, you can do a bit more management of Steph's minutes here. I think that he just provides you flexibility and, and a lot of talent. Yeah, I mean, uh, Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Combo Guard, a.k.a. Kevin O'Content, mentioned that before the draft at Ohio State, one of D'Angelo Russell's most appealing traits was his ability to play off the ball. So yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Right, I mean, I think that it could be... I think there's a good chance that like this offense sort of resembles the... 
Monta Ellis, Steph Curry offense of the early 10s when Steph first joined the Warriors, where both of them are kind of combo guards playing off of each other. I think Steph's going to have to play a little more off-ball with D'Angelo Russell as well. And I think, obviously, I mean, Steph is just equipped to play in any kind of offense, um, which... You know, I, th- I think he's, to an extent, I feel like I talked earlier about how, like, LeBron has warped our idea of, like, how good of a passer, like, these superstars should be. Steph has warped our idea of, like, how easily you should be able to fit in with any other player. Because right. I think Steph's the most, I think Steph, more than any player in NBA history almost, you can drop him in, on any team and he'd be good. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's the truth. But I, you know, if... So, like, let's say Russell is around what he was last year where he's, like, a 22-point-a-game scorer. You know, I think Steph, I think he is a low-key MVP candidate where he could go off and average, like, 35 points a game shooting, like, you know, 44% from three or something. I don't think that's crazy at all. No, I think, I mean, I think, I think we're going to remember at a lot of points in the just how good he is. And, you know, I think Steph probably is kind of pissed off that a lot of people are kind of leaving him out of top fives. I consistently yeah. see people not mention him in the top five players, which is absurd. Yep. Um, and I think the narrative works well for him that he lost Clay, he lost Kevin Durant, and he had to mentor D'Angelo Russell and is able to move in there. I mean, I think the narrative works out pretty well for him in a way similar to Anthony Davis. Um, so I, I think I'd do that. I think I'd. I think they will be the third best team in the playoffs, but. I think they probably are going to end up with like a five or a six seed. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, what t- what teams in the West do you think are playoff locks? Do you think any of them are playoff locks? Yeah, I think um, I think I should think a fair amount. I think LA, both LA teams, Houston, Denver, State, um. Utah, Denver, and Portland. I think there's seven blocks. But I mean, like... I mean, like, you mean, like, you mean, like, I would be absolutely shocked if they didn't make the playoffs. Right, because I'm just saying that, like, I don't, like, even with Portland... Uh, Houston, Denver, and both LA Because I even think, like, with Portland and Utah, like, let's say, like, if New Orleans... And like Dallas and San Antonio took those spots, or Sacramento, I wouldn't be surprised. I would say I would say Houston, both LA teams, and um, Denver. Okay, I I agree. Even Golden State is not. I think Denver is a lot. Yeah, I think Denver is probably Denver and Houston are probably the safest bets. Sure. Um. I mean, what do you think? The would you be more surprised if the Pelicans or the Mavericks made it? Uh, Pelican. Okay. I think Mavericks are are pretty good. I mean, I really like Jackson Hayes. I think that front court, my God. Yeah, he looked, I mean, he looked, he looked good in some league. Um, I think they got a pretty good, they got a pretty damn good team. I I mean, really, I think, like, the Suns and, pretty much just, the Suns and Grizzlies are the, Grizzlies are the only, and the Thunder Maybe not even the Thunder, but probably the Thunder are the only three teams that I would cross off. Yeah, I think the Wolves are close, though. I think they'll make. I think they they're not a cross off team, but they're. I. I'd be really surprised if they the playoffs. I would be too, but we're talking about MVPs. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, let's if Cat does what he did in sept in February for the entire season. For I mean, that would be so good that, that probably carries the Wolves to the playoffs. And if he yeah, carries the Wolves to the playoffs, right players around them. Right. I mean, I think they have a chance to be pretty damn good defensively with a 